Did you know that you could be walking around with persistent high blood pressure and not even know it? And even if you're on blood pressure medication, you could still be outside of optimal blood pressure range. Tune in to learn how blood pressure can affect your brain and your body. Hi, I'm Dr. Shabnam Daskar. I'm a functional medicine doctor and a certified tiny habits coach. I teach people how to improve their focus, get rid of brain fog, and reduce their risk of dementia. And I'm Andrea Spiros. I'm a professional speaker and tiny habits certified coach. I work with organizations to harness the power of high-powered habits to increase engagement, resilience, and well-being. So today we're talking about high blood pressure. Uh, maybe you, you've already heard about blood pressure being important. Maybe you've been ignoring your blood pressure. Maybe you think blood pressure is just something that you have to have taken anytime you go to the doctor and you don't think about it much. Let's dive into what is blood pressure, Dr. Shabnam? So blood pressure and hypertension. Hypertension is essentially high blood pressure. Now all of us have a certain blood pressure, which is basically the measure of the force that your heart uses to pump blood around our bodies. And hypertension has nothing to do with tension. <laughs> it is uh-huh. having blood pressure levels above a certain threshold. And Andrea and I will talk about what those numbers are. So essentially what happens is the heart has to you know, pump the blood so that blood can reach all the different you know, far and distant parts of our body. And that needs a certain pressure. So just as, you know, water pressure in, in, in the water pump that you might be using, it is similar to that. But of course, it's way more sophisticated in yeah. the way it functions. Exactly. And and so a lot of people, even if they understand that, are wondering, well, why do I get high blood pressure? And why do people get it in the first place? Oh, that's a very, very important question because we don't have simple answers. Now, here when Andrea and I are talking about hypertension, uh, what there are different types. So the commonest one, which you know most people have, is what is called primary hypertension. This, there is another type, which is secondary. So secondary meaning it could be as a result of some other problems. It could be some hormone problems and you know severe kidney disease, all those other things. So those are called secondary hypertension. And I'm not talking, we are not talking about that today. We are talking about, you know, there's nothing garden variety about hypertension, but we are talking about the commoner one. So um, the commoner hypertension. And truthfully, it is really very complex on why we get hypertension. There are numerous reasons. Uh, One is, of course, one of the major ones is uh, vascular dysfunction. So vascular meaning blood vessels. And as as you, you know, I mentioned earlier, blood has to go to you know different parts of the body through the blood vessels. So if the blood vessels are not pliable, they are not flexible enough. You know, it's like uh, some old metallic pipe which doesn't you know allow the flow to go. And the underlying problem very often is at the level of the cells in the blood vessels. There could be inflammation there. There could be immune dysfunction. Then, of course, some of the major ones uh, and some of the newer ones that we're getting to know more about now is our gut microbiome has a huge impact on blood pressure as well. So inflammation 
oxidative stress, again, another type of inflammation, vascular dysfunction, immune system. Every disease is actually an immune system problem. It's just that what type of problem. Then the gut microbiome. Another big one is kidneys. So kidneys get affected by hypertension and kidney diseases give, uh, you know, can cause hypertension as well. But there are some mechanisms in the kidney in handling sodium. So most of you have probably heard of sodium. But besides sodium, you know, potassium and magnesium also have a huge impact. And Andrea and I will talk about all those three on a separate episode. Then another big one, Andrea, and I have hypertension in my family. So a lot of people I know think that, oh, my parents had hypertension. So it's in my genes. It is kind of inevitable. That right. is not true. <laughs> so is, just because it's in your family. News. Right. Sorry. For everyone listening here, it, your genes aren't dooming you to uh, high blood pressure. Yeah. And even if you know, you do have hypertension and your parents have hypertension, your kids have hypertension. Andrea and I are here to give you a message of hope. There is a lot you can do, but it's not a fatalistic view. And on another, you know, we'll have a bonus episode where I'm going to talk about my personal journey in hypertension, but that's for later on. Exactly. A whole bunch of reasons. And any of you want to geek out on the, you know, absolutely medical details, I'll add the reference to our show notes. You can geek out on that. Exactly. And we have a great graphic with all these different pieces in it. But really, the basic the basic information here is we don't always know the specific reason why people get hypertension. We have a lot of ideas about a lot of things that show that are correlated with that. We can't say for you exactly why, but the most important thing is you can do something not only to prevent hypertension, but also to reduce it. And that's really what we'll focus on in a separate episode. Today, let's talk about like why, you know, why is it a problem? You know, I feel fine is what a lot of people say. I, I feel fine. You know, my, my doctor said my blood pressure was a little high and he wants me to watch out or she wants me to watch out. and I don't really see the big deal. Yeah, so that is actually the biggest problem with hypertension because very often you will not have any symptoms at all. And the only time it is diagnosed is when you go to the doctor and the doctor checks it and says, oh, your blood pressure is high. So worldwide, there are more than 1 billion, billion with a B. So that's like one seventh of the world population has hypertension. And this is the scariest part actually now, Andrea, is hypertension is no longer a problem of only older people. And young people are not aware of it. So young hypertension. Can you imagine, I mean, I was reading recently, 10% of US school children, and I think numbers are similar in Canada, 10% of US school children have hypertension. That's and amazing. There's, there, we're not talking young as in 20s and 30s. We're talking young as in 10s, 12, 13 teenagers. Yes. Wow. And also in amongst the in those in the twin in the age group of 20s, you know, 20s, 30s onwards. So truthfully, I would say that hypertension is a problem for everyone, and it is uh, not diagnosed often because most people are not thinking of hypertension because there are no symptoms. So more than, you know, 46%, and this is information from the World Health Organization. 
So 46% of adults with hypertension are not even aware they have the condition. So these are undiagnosed people in the living in the community. They have no clue. They have such a big con major condition which can impact their health. And um, more importantly, even those who know they have hypertension and maybe they are taking a medication, a large number don't have it at the optimal range. And we will talk about the optimal range. But when, you know, most people don't connect high, hypertension, high blood pressure with, you know, higher risk for stroke, higher risk for dementia, higher risk for heart attack, heart failure, kidney disease, vision loss. And most importantly, very few people connect hypertension with sexual dysfunction, particularly in men. So Andrea, when I want my young patients to become, you know, aware about their blood pressure, and most of the time I have to, because I do most mostly, you know, teleconsulting. So I have to wait for them to send me their blood pressure data. Yeah. And I have to keep telling them, I said, you know, you're probably not thinking it's a problem for of your someone your age. You're thinking it's my parents' problem. It's my grandparents' problem. But did you know that it can cause sexual dysfunction? Does that get their attention? Uh, yes, quite often it does. But again, we'll come, we'll talk about the measurement of, you know, blood pressure and where that is where some of the challenges come in. Exactly. Well, and, and I think it's really important if you're listening, uh, since you're listening, that you know that these, all these things like stroke, vision loss, heart failure, heart attack, kidney disease, kidney failure, and sexual dysfunction can have a root cause or a cause in high blood pressure. And so just because you're not feeling anything doesn't mean that you're not at risk and it's worth paying attention to your blood pressure and educating yourself in this way can actually help you be healthier. Let's talk about the numbers because I think so many people know they get two numbers and then, you know, they go to the doctor or some facility, they put a cuff on pinches for a little bit. And then the doctor says two numbers and there's either it's high, it's low, watch out, you're fine. And then people go on their way. So tell us a little bit more so that people can understand their blood pressure readings and know what to do. So the most common numbers are, uh, you know, what is called systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure. So when you're given your blood pressure readings, Usually uh, it's said as, okay, it is 120 over 80. So 120, the upper number is the systolic blood pressure and the lower one is the diastolic blood pressure. Both are equally important. A lot of people, you know, there was a time years ago when I was in med school, people would say, oh, you don't need to bother with this and you, know, you need to focus on the other one. But both are important. And there is one more number which we don't often talk about is something called pulse pressure. So pulse pressure is basically your systolic number. So the upper number minus the lower number. And pulse pressure should ideally be between 40 and 60 millimeters of mercury. And there are a whole bunch of ways in which if you find that your pulse pressure is high, obviously you need to talk to your doctor, but there are things you can do like omega-3 fatty acids. Severe iron deficiency anemia can cause a you know, change in, in worsened pulse pressure. Then hyperthyroidism, uh, using estrogens in women and omega-3 fatty acids in men as well as women, exercise, these things can help improve your pulse pressure as well. 
And if you have, some people have, you know, the systolic number. So the upper number is higher. And talk to your doctor because there are some medications uh, for hypertension which can reduce your systolic more than your diastolic. And uh, so it's very important to remember. Now, the next question comes, Andrea, this is something I'm asked so often. And if it's a, uh, if it's a physician colleague, I sometimes get pushed back as well. Ah. <laughs> no, but so-and-so says this is not. So in 2017, there was one major uh, study called the SPRINT trial. So based on that, the American Heart Association mm, changed the normal blood pressure readings to anything so normal is less than 120 for systolic and less than 80 for diastolic. Recently, I had someone telling me, oh, in Europe, it's a different. I said, yeah, European guidelines are different. Now, worldwide, and sometimes what happens, Andrea, people get confused. Like my pharmacist was telling me, oh, your blood pressure is very good. I said, no, I want it lower because the upper number was 130. <laughs> I uh. said, 130 is not okay. <laughs> and he didn't know. <laughs> So going to that, so 120 by 80 and below. Now, worldwide, based on multiple studies, and again, you know, hypertension is so complex and there aren't too many hypertension specialists. I am not a hypertension specialist, but I have personal interest because I have hypertension. So worldwide, the, the opinion now is the lower the high blood pressure readings, the better it is. As long as you don't have symptoms of, you know, dizziness and you're like when you stand up, you feel like you're going to completely collapse. So those are and again, it does not mean that you take 20 medications to lower your blood pressure to that level. And for older people, so there, it's not very easy to say, OK, this is it. Like if you're younger, I am much more, you know, uh, much more diligent about blood pressure in younger people and I get kind of anal about oh no it needs to be lower than that versus Absolutely. older people because they're going to live with hypertension for many many more years so the cumulative exposure to a you know high blood pressure for a long time that has a huge impact on brain and heart health and all the other things we talked about and we we know now that midlife health so what was your blood pressure when you were younger? What was your blood glucose levels, your inflammation levels? Did you have belly fat? All these things decide your long-term health. And since we're talking about the brain, midlife health is, you know, how good it is also decides your risk for dementia. And Andrea, you and I have talked so much about dementia prevention. I don't know anyone who's not interested in brain health. So if there was just one thing you wanted to do, well, there are more than one thing, but then, you know, if you if there was just one thing you wanted to do, check your blood pressure today and make sure that you, you know, get it to the optimal range that is optimal for you. Talk to your doctor. And that's so important to start paying attention, especially if you're younger, but pay attention at any age because you can avert some of these potential health issues and live a happier, healthier life. Let's talk a little bit about the categories of blood pressure so people can understand a little bit more deeply. And we do have a graphic that we'll include for this so that you can you can see. Um, what is considered normal 
and elevated and high? And then where should people really, really watch out? Okay. Oh, one minute. So the, the graphic just disappeared from my screen. I'm back again. <laughs> so we will add, add that graphic to the show notes. So normal is less than 120 by 80. Elevated is 120 to 129 and less than 80. Then high blood pressure or hypertension stage one is 120 to one, sorry, one, well, yeah, 120 to 130 and 80 to 90 sorry i'm i'm having a hard time looking at this picture and then of course the higher numbers are you know definitely much more in the they are in the red so it's very important to know what the numbers are more importantly how do you measure them so mm, normal blood pressure if you just remember 120 80 and below and the lower it is, the better it is. That is that is an easy and simple way to remember. Then, you know, you can go into all the... And then, of course, there are many other factors. Andrea, like whether someone has heart disease, whether they have a high risk for stroke, they've already had a stroke, whether they have diabetes, a lot of different factors, uh, you know, matter as well. So most importantly, you need to know what your numbers are and you need to talk to your doctor if you have multiple other illnesses to know what is your best number. And more importantly, whether you need to be on multiple medications, whether you need to be on supplements. But there are a lot of things you can do for yourself, which you don't really need to check with your doctor <laughs> always. Well, we have talked about what the numbers are for blood pressure. We've talked about what normal blood pressure numbers are. Let's talk about how to measure blood pressure. Yes, and that measuring blood pressure has gone through some changes in recent years. So back when, uh, you know, years ago we used to, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, Andrea, you go to the doctor and depending on, you know, how rushed your doctor is or how rushed you are, you the nurse puts a cuff on you right away and you check have your blood pressure checked and then they tell you this is your number now right. recent guidelines have suggested that that is not the best way to diagnose hypertension uh, then, so the best way is what is called out of office blood pressure measurement now andrea here i must digress a little bit for my indian audience so when i when we said talk about out of office so in North America, doctors, clinics are called offices. And when I told my patients in India, you know, you have to do an out-of-office blood pressure. They said, oh, you mean when I'm not working in the office? So no, it is That's not right. That's right. They probably, so let's be very clear, not out of your own office, yeah. out of the doctor's office. When you're away from the doctor, you want to do, you want to take your blood pressure. So in short, it's about taking your blood pressure in a setting that is, normal for you or yeah in sort your, of your everyday yeah. life so your everyday life so this is where again should you check your blood pressure at home using blood pressure devices that's a great idea and nowadays you get a lot of validated home blood pressure devices which don't cost a whole lot and they're fairly accurate and they have gone through the testing so and most people have that at home. In fact, as one of my friends said, that's one of the most uh, you know, valuable investment in your health that you can make. So you can check your blood pressure at home. 
using a regular cuff and the devices that I'm sure everyone is familiar with them. But the fact is, you know, checking blood pressure is home is, of course, that is out of office blood pressure measurement. But the fact is, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to sit still for five minutes, no caffeine or food for half an hour before that, no talking. So you can't have your, you know, keep answering your phone calls or checking notifications. And then you take uh, an average of three measurements. Now, some devices are such where they automatically take three measurements and, you know, give you an average of the three. Some devices, even the clinically validated ones, don't do it automatically. So you need to check the measurements. Then some of them have an app where they store the uh, numbers. Or the thing is, you know, whatever works best for you. There are some phone apps. You can add the data to the phone app. So average of three measurements. And then ideally, of course, you need to take it morning, afternoon, and night. And Andrea, let me tell you this, as someone who has hypertension, I have never done that for, and I expected my patients to do it for a week. (laughs) (laughs) And I realized, no, this is a stupid method. It doesn't work. (laughs) So what do you do instead? You don't expect your clients, your patients to be doing it three times a day for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So the next method of out-of-office blood pressure measurement is what is called a 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure test. So this test is available, I'm sure, anywhere in the world. It's a, you actually sort of rent the device from your doctor or the clinic or the hospital, wherever, and you wear the cuff and it has like, uh, this is like an across-body device you carry with you. And the cuff can be set to, you know, inflate every 15 minutes, 30 minutes, at night, it can inflate lesser number of times. But it is the same way of measuring. It's just that the, the number of times it automatically inflates and deflates and the readings are captured in the device. And then you take the device back to the doctor or the clinic or the hospital and they can you know, take out the extract the data and come up with, your, with a report. So what the 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure test does is it gives us the blood pressure measurement at night when you're sleeping. Now, you cannot do that with a home blood pressure device because how are you going to measure at night? (laughs) Your blood pressure when you're asleep. And multiple studies over several years have shown that if our blood pressures do not fall at night by at least 10%, then uh, what happens is if the blood pressure does not fall at night, by at least 10%, that condition is called a non-dipper. So rest of the day, your blood pressure may be absolutely normal, but if it does not fall at night, uh, those people are at a higher risk for heart disease, stroke, dementia, and all the whole lot of stuff we talked about. So nighttime blood pressure and early morning blood pressure are two major numbers which we cannot detect by using a home blood pressure test. So 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure test available probably anywhere in the world. In Canada, you need a specialist's recommendation, but many places I'm sure your family doctor can help you with that. Now, the third way of measuring, which is fairly new, these are wearable devices. So one has come out recently. It's available mostly in Europe, not in North America yet, but this is just a question of time when it will be available everywhere in the world where you wear it like a, you know like any of these fitness trackers and it can check your blood pressure much more often and that gives you a whole lot more information 
So essentially three ways or four ways, if you include checking at the drugstore or your doctor's you know, clinic or doctor's office, but out of office, that means when you're living your daily life, what is going on, that blood pressure is way more important than a single test at the doctor's office. You know what, let's talk, even though we are going to do a deeper dive, before we wrap, let's talk about the broad categories of things you can do to help yourself achieve optimal blood pressure. Okay, so uh, we talked about, you know, the five most important uh, things for, you know, achieving better brain health. And we talked about sleep, eat, move, mind-body interventions, therapeutic supplementation. So Andrea and I will go into details into some of them, particularly supplementation and what are the major ones that you can look at. But, you know, prioritizing sleep. Deep sleep is one of the best antihypertensives ever. (laughs) Weight loss is free. Deep sleep is free. (laughs) Yeah, but sometimes it may be a little hard to achieve. But anyway, we have, is it four episodes on sleep? So we have four episodes on sleep. Sleep may be free, but sometimes it it isn't necessarily easy. But we have material in four podcasts for you on on how to do that. So sleep, what what else? Then food, we'll do a much deeper dive on, again, people talk about what is the best food for hypertension? It would depend. It depends on many factors. So with food, it's a little difficult to, you know, answer because Food is one, it's not like a simple pill, you know, you just, it's way easier to take pills than to change food. And food is something that what you eat over the long term versus what you're eating just, you know, over one week or one day has a huge impact. So in in the research world, they call it dietary patterns versus, you know, single ingredients, like will eating blueberry reduce my blood pressure? Probably it will, but if you are also eating, you know, real food the rest of the time, along with blueberries and not eating a lot of processed sugary stuff, that will help a whole lot more. Then comes, you know, low salt, whether some some people are sensitive to salt, and we'll talk about sodium, magnesium, and potassium on a separate episode. So for some people, sodium is a huge factor. Reducing your sodium intake, high salt food, preserved food contain a whole lot of salt. Those things matter. For some other people, you know, salt is not such a big deciding factor. Then movement. Now, exercise has a huge impact on blood pressure as well. But the point is, what is the type of exercise that you will do over the long term versus, you know, is there one particular type of exercise for hypertension? So, you know, after being uh, you know certified as a tiny habits coach, Andrea, I've become less prescriptive, you know. <laughs> well, you understand the power of matching, right? You understand that it's about consistency and what people can get themselves to do. And even just doing something small consistently can really make a big change. Yeah, then of course, mind-body interventions like mindfulness-based stress reduction, prayer, tai chi, qigong, a whole bunch of stuff which, you know, help reduce your, uh, which change your relaxation response is what we say. So it reduces blood pressure, your pulse rate comes down, you are not on a high, like flight or fight mode. 
all those things matter and of course you have to decide which are the ones appropriate for you but most importantly andrea i want to you know stress upon the fact that many of my patients will come doctor i don't want to be on any medication for hypertension and their blood pressures are very high i said no i don't agree with you because why not start on a medication because medications can control blood pressure much faster than your lifestyle change and then once your lifestyle changes have kicked in maybe you can reduce the dosage or you know instead of two medications you can be on one but because for prescription medications yes a lot of people may have side effects but they also have the potential to reduce blood pressure a lot and this is multiple studies have shown so again is there an easy way to know okay this is what my blood pressure is today this is what my blood glucose is this is my body weight this is my you know this is my ethnic background is this the best medication for me we are not there yet hopefully we will be there soon maybe one day in the future maybe yeah, one and i don't think the future is very far away well and so today we've talked about really what blood pressure is and what effects it can be having on your body even if you're not feeling it things like stroke and vision loss heart attack heart failure kidney disease kidney failure and sexual dysfunction. We've talked about the numbers so you know exactly what the numbers are, what they mean, and what you need to look out for and ask your doctor about. We've also done a quick overview of how the areas that you can look at to achieve optimal blood pressure, and we're gonna do a deeper dive into those things in another episode. If you've liked what you heard, please uh, like, rate, and subscribe and share. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you sharing. And you can find this and all podcasts at drkarmd slash podcast. That's drkarmd.com slash podcast. Thank you.